0: Father, I pray that indeed that your word would be in our our midst and we would be amazed that we have your word. Uh, We have heard the word uh, read and now to hear it preached. I pray that this will uh, show us a mighty redeemer and great and perfect purposes are underway for us. Uh, I pray this will be uh, relating to the here and now of our lives. Pray it will relate to the moments that we're experiencing right now, and so I pray these things in the name of Christ, Amen, Amen. So Ephesians two, uh, you can see the passage there in your worship folder if you have your Bibles, two fourteen through twenty one. Marvelous, marvelous passage there. Um. sort of a, I'm not sure if we were at someone's house, but it may have been my, one of my brother's house, we were somewhere where, and I'm not sure why uh, we weren't together that night, but she was with uh, uh, a, sister, a sister-in-law, sister uh, and um, she had been married to a capin boy <laughs> longer than Marianne had been, and so she made a comment about the Capin boys, <laughs> there were, four, there, there were four, four of us, and uh, she said, well, you know these Capin boys, she said, they're all the same. the boys are all the same. Uh, What they really want is they want to live with their wives on an island all by themselves. And uh, that means that we are by nature independent, independent guys. And I uh, I played team sports in high school and uh, I I have to admit that that insight uh, from uh, a sister-in-law is actually very true. Uh, If I take personality tests, I know that I do come out an independent person, I remember uh, on the playing high school water polo, and um, I remember just how how what an individual I was on a team sport. <laughs> and our coach was rather uh, rather an older gentleman who wasn't that engaged, and so it's sort of like we had to learn water polo on our own. and uh, And I remember working awfully hard and actually playing. college And uh, so, I remember just, just trying to figure the game out on my own. And I remember just how little I shared with my fellow teammates that they had to learn on their own. We're all just like a bunch of individuals here, and let's all figure it out, right? So that I was, I needed coaching. Let's just put that. I needed coaching. And so my, my, uh, my personality is actually rather independent. So I have to work hard at um, engaging team ideas. Stuff, so I, I start that off as, as sort of a uh, a way for you to sort of understand my own my own personality. Um, now this passage is remarkable because it presents to us two groups that were at odds with each other. They're in the history of the world, and we have a lot going on now, don't we? In our in our day and age, right? A lot of groups that are hostile to each other. Historically, there was a division between God's people, Israel, and all that God had established to keep them a distinct people. Uh, All the rules, the dietary laws, all the customs, 613 commandments were given to Israel to make them a distinct people for a time, to essentially separate them from the world for a time. And, of course, this morphed into a way of them being Righteous or seeing themselves as righteous, because they saw themselves as keeping these laws when they really didn't. So these these um, rule these rules ordinances shaped their their culture their their distinct identity. Well, outside of Israel was the non-Jewish world, the Gentile world. And this is a world that they, the Jews, did not want to enter into. They would never visit. A that was prepared there, and all these things were just really divisive and dividing these two groups. There could be no more divided groups than these two, the Jews and the non-Jews. And in our passage here, we have the Apostle Paul saying that God, the Son of God, came and was willing to be crushed in his body, suffer in his body, in order to create a new humanity. in Colossians and other places, and this mystery is, and people really couldn't quite see this very clearly. They couldn't see that God was intending, at some point in the future, to create one people of God. And the Apostle Paul saw this as his particular ministry going around, explaining this dynamic this passage is a remarkable passage because it talks about how God is in our midst creating a new temple. He is building his new temple by his grace. God is active among us, working. Now the question is, how is he working? How is he working? And he is working to build us up in the process of change they have the same status there's no hierarchy in the in the Christian church and Jesus has come and he is in verse 17 he's preached peace to us who were far off and peace to those who are near that would be the Jews meaning that God has come in Jesus and he's been a preacher of peace and he's brought one spirit among all God's people he's gifted his church and we are to grow together in the Process of change it's the process of change happens in a community. Change is a community project. So the passage makes it clear that something connects us to God and his people. And that is the Spirit of God is connecting us to each other. And it's not just in heaven that we will be united, but Structures join together, and it grows into a holy temple. Now, interacting with people um, is challenging. Interacting with fellow believers is challenging. Um, you know, as as we open the doors of the church, uh, people come in, and I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and uh, it's a it's it's an open uh, sort of a public thing, isn't it? I mean, here we are, and the doors are open, and why, who knows will come through those doors <laughs> I might even come through those doors right so um, that's, that can be challenging because we are not selecting uh, those who might be part of our our club. we are willing to okay uh, sit with and learn with people who we would not normally choose Does that make sense? So this then be begins this discovery that the church is this big process of sanctification. Growing of abiding with people, forbearing with people, having patience with people. Um, I was a young college student. I was finishing up at a Southern California college, um, uh, and I, I it came to, a realization came to me my senior year. Uh, I would attend uh, a church uh, in Southern California. There, I remember distinctly thinking in my mind. I Busy with all kinds of campus activities, Bible studies, groups. So I was having a blast in college, and I distinctly remember. I remember. I can see myself where I'm sitting in the church. in the years that followed was that the parachurch is somewhat easier because the parachurch is designed around your interests and your desires and what you want. Uh, The church isn't always designed that way. And so uh, the parachurch, for instance, if you would like to be part of a uh, vigorous uh, Bible study group, sort of the the marines that hit the beach and study deep, well, you can find a a parachurch group that, that would do that. Uh, if you want to find a group that is involved in mercy ministries, well, you can find that. If you'd like to get involved in, and there are some 1,700 Christian organizations in the United States alone. I found myself looking, at realizing that the church was not central in my understanding. I certainly um, was open to listening to why, how, what is the, what is it about the church that I should be th- uh, uh, engaged in. But hard for me to realize that I had carefully chosen things that I just wanted to do. Now, if I do that and continue on in the Christian life like that, I will short-circuit the change process. That I will surround myself with people who are like me, and I will engage in sort of a kind of a spiritual cul-de-sac that I will not be engaging in the full grace that God has, inten- has intended for me. So that's just an observation about uh, our particular moment in in, in our cultural moment in, in evangelical Christianity. We have lots of choices. A lot another aspect of our cultural moment is as Americans, we have all been influenced by hyper-individualism or at least individualism. And that is that the image, w- what do you th- if we could just maybe give your input here, you guys can say something out loud. Um, what is the iconic image of a, of an American? What what's the iconic image of an American what think of think of a movie or think of so what's the iconic image I think that's an American. Ooh, yes. And what kind of uh, he played uh, war uh, war heroes say, could we agree with that the cowboy is pretty pretty central to the uh, American uh, image? The cowboy typically is a little bit reluctant uh, in the beginning of the movie, and then he comes into a town where there's trouble and the bad guys are running the town. And so the cowboy figures out, or the, he figures out how to take out the bad guys. And at the end of the movie, um, he joins the gardening club, right? Does he become civic-minded? What happens at the end of the movie? He rides off into the sunset. That's America. That's it. We're not joiners. We're not joiners. That's what we're up against. Um, There are two things that are underway right now in your life. Two things. The way you've been raised, the desires that are in your heart, the instincts that are running through your system, the way you think you ought to live, things you ought to pursue, the things you desire. And as a Christian, there's something else in you. God is in you to work his purposes. God is moving you along in a process that will, at times, will bring tests and trials and difficulties and disagreements and hardship in your life and he's moving you in the process of conforming to, to his son I have instincts, desires motivations structures uh, uh, of pr- uh, that I pursue in my heart that are contrary to God's purposes so we've all been raised we all have instincts, we all have desires connected to God's purposes. So those are the two things that are kind of underway in, in us at all times. So this passage is remarkable because it is telling us that we grow together and we are going in the same direction together. We are a structure, verse 21 and 22, we are a structure joined together together. And growing into a holy temple. C.S. Lewis uses the image of uh, sort of a landlord uh, who's come and has, is tweaking, uh, deal, is adjusting, uh, making changes to our house. We imagine our house, the house of our life, to be a cozy little—I don't know—little house in the shire, right, you like hobbits, Right? But we see ourselves as our house is a nice little cozy place. The landlord comes along. And knocks out a, a wall and builds an additional room over there. Then the landlord comes and knocks uh, out the, the roof and builds a, an addition way on top. Then the landlord comes and might even mess with the foundation of the house. In other words, we had a perfectly fine view of our house. It's the house of our life. And the landlord comes and says, oh, no, I'm not making a house. From C. Lewis. How does he do that? He uses other people. He uses other people in the body of Christ. The cozy little house that I thought was my house is actually being expanded for greater purposes. I want you to notice that God has taken upon himself the wall of hostility. He has broken down that wall and he's creating one new. Hard as it is in relationships, God is moving us toward unity. He's moving us toward unity. And we are already unified because we are fellow citizens in the household of God, members of household of God's household. We can't become the Christians we are meant to be by being alone with God. We are called into community. I wonder how this passage strikes you. Does it? Um, does it encourage you? Does it bug you? Does it help you begin to ask hard questions? For instance, here's one: How much of your life currently allows you to develop relationships that are deep enough? in the body of Christ uh, cost a great deal. There is a, uh, what one theologian describes as the happy land of the Trinity. Within the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there is deep felicity. There is eternal happiness between these three persons. What's mysterious and remarkable that it is that in our redemption, and we fully cannot grasp or understand this, when Jesus cried out, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Something for a moment was disturbed within the Trinity. These three deeply happy, gloriously happy, loving individuals for the price, the cost of our redemption, that Jesus was made to be sin on the cross. Such is the love of the Trinity for us that we would be brought into that fellowship at the cost of through the body of Jesus, crushed for us, a new humanity is being formed. One of the key ways uh, to care about um, maybe a small group or fellowship groups or connecting with a a Christian regularly within the church, one of the key ways to care about that is to highly value what God has done to make that possible to begin with. A couple of things, and then really talking about is redemptive friendships. Redemptive friendships. This means that these friendships are not based around just um, our agenda, not just based around our, our pursuit of happiness. These friendships are moving us along in the process of change. Let me read to you someone who's reflecting on their small group experience from chapter 4. Just read this. This is a person who's saying, giving a summary of what it was like to be part of a small group. As a group, we have confronted anxiety, interpersonal strife, the need for forgiveness, lust, family trouble, unbelief, the fear of man, hypocrisy, unemployment, sickness, lack of love, idolatry, and marital strife. A pretty heavy small group. These are the things that we've dealt with. We have helped each other. We've held each other accountable and lifted up and lifted up by one another. We have also grieved together, celebrated together, laughed together, offended one another, reconciled with one another, put up with one another, and sought to love God. with you a few insights into what's happening when um, when you engage other people a lot's going on. a lot is going on. Um, the gospel is on display as God is changing a flawed individual and a group of individuals. So we see, The infinite love of God manifested in different ways. We see what God is doing in a small way, but we see it in the life of how someone is responding. We see the infinite love of God. A mother struggling with a strong-willed child, someone overcoming an addiction, someone fighting an anxious response to their finances. One person is realizing their anger. Some people realizing they are ruled by their circumstances in the context of redemptive friendships. Another interesting thing that's going on is if you're just sort of watching a group of Christians work this out, interact with each other, another thing that's going on, not only do you see the infinite love of God in manifold ways, interesting another thing, here it is, and you'll see obedience on display. Titus 2, 11 through 14. Please encourage you to reflect on this. The grace of God has appeared teaching us to deny ungodliness. Titus 2, 11. It, The grace of God has appeared teaching us. Interesting. The grace of God As you are watching someone interact with the gospel, you're watching someone obey because the grace of God is so good. You're watching someone obey because they are overwhelmed with the love of God for them. This is on display in the here and now of a redemptive friendship. grace of God has appeared, instructing us to deny ungodliness. We've seen this in our church. We've seen this together as a body of Christ. We've seen we've suffered together. We're suffering right now with with Eliza and all that that's entailed with with her life and all the support you have given the Edmonds. You have been on. Aw- you have been gospel show and tell for them. So many of you involved. Your, your kind comments, your meals, your faithfulness. That's what the body of Christ is like. When there is a death, and we have experienced this, your giftedness comes out, your your grace comes out, your you you instill hope in the future for that couple, for that individual. You are the you are Christ embodied in that moment for those people is remarkable. I hope you've experienced this in the church. Everything is more powerful. This is from chapter 4. Everything is more powerful when it is combined with the ministries of the rest of the body. Now, I recognize I think I'm preaching to the choir (laughs) because you're here today. You're available. You want to help. You want to serve, right? But let's think about developing our own rugged philosophy of why we want to stay engaged in redemptive friendships. So you can be a counselor to those who who may struggle with why is church worth worth it why is it why does it matter? I can find my own way of spiritual something apart from the church. The church is so central to God's purposes for the change. Everything is more powerful when it is combined with the ministries of the rest of the body. So uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good introduction to um, how God uses relationships in the body of Christ. Reflect on that Ephesians 2 passage, a uh, remarkable moment that we've had together. And uh, I pray that God's grace will be strong in you, that um, you will begin to build even further and deeper redemptive relationships. Let's pray. Father, there are manifold ministry possibilities in this room. Father, there are people who are gifted. Um, (laughs) Father, I recognize that I am just a part of the body of Christ, and I am thankful that Given people gifts, and instincts, and I- intuition, and wisdom, and thoughtfulness, and experience, you have, you have brought your people together, because we can't make this happen without you, Father. There are instincts in us to be, uh, kind of the cowboy who who just rides off into the sunset. Father, thank you for your overwhelming grace that keeps us connected. Thank you for the Lord's Supper that reminds us that we are a people and we are a body. Father, grace, may your grace be manifold among us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.